Hiya. How are you? Welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. Today, I'm talking to uh, somebody who's got a doctorate from Boston University. I know. It's not my typical constituency, this. Uh, someone who's a prof of kinesiology at Gordon College in Massachusetts. And for 13 years. So don't just think she's a, a you know a brainy boffin. Uh, she is, but she's more than that. Uh, she's not just brains. Uh, this girl is a proper player. Uh, Valerie Jin, for 13 years, was head women's volleyball and softball coach at Godden College and is a prof. So uh, I'm on tiptoes. I'm going to do my best, uh, but we're off. Val Jin, welcome. How you doing? Hi, Graham. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, you're very, very welcome here to the Christians of Sport podcast. Uh, there's lots of things we, I'd like to talk to you about, but I am going to jump in. Uh, with a novel I'm reading right now, which is why I'm so keen to have you uh, to interview, which is When Girls Became Lions, published in 2015 with a co-author. I'd rather you tell me the narrative, and then I want to know why you wrote it. Well, thank you for asking about When Girls Became Lions. It is a book that I always wanted to read. And uh, it's about uh, Title IX, which happened in the United States. It's uh, Title IX is a law that was passed in 1972, which is an educational act that enabled girls to have the same opportunities that boys had. So anywhere in the school, whether it was the choir, the chess team, varsity athletic teams, um, that they were going to have equal opportunities. So up until 1972, girls did not have the opportunities that boys had, um, specifically to play on sport teams. So Title IX was passed in 1972. I'm a recipient of that wonderful law because then all through school I was able to play on sport teams and never thought anything about it. But the women before me really didn't have the opportunities to play. And so the book, When Girls Became Lions, is about uh, a coach, a male coach in 1983 that led his team, the first girls team in Ohio. So it took 11 11 years to actually have a first uh, soccer state tournament. And he was the head coach. And then um, the next chapter fast forwards to 2007 with an African-American coach coaching at the same school but has no idea that this 1983 team ever existed. It was her goal to win the first championship. So the book unfolds with her going to a, a, a funeral of this coach. And the reason she goes is because she's the lowest person on the totem pole. Somebody has to represent the athletic department And so the woman coach is relegated to go, and she is just shocked, just shocked that there was a woman's team in 1983 that already won the state championship, but there is no record of it anywhere. (laughs) So the book unfolds and goes back and forth from 1983 and then 2007, and it flip-flops during those two time periods. And what she learns about the team and the players that some of them still live in the town, it really informs and changes the way she coaches now because they were playing for different reasons. Well, uh, When Girls Became Lions uh, is the name of the book. And uh, I'm just I'm flagging it up again because I would like people to read it because uh, as I'm 
actually in the act of reading it now. As I said, I find it elegant and winsome, powerful. But, but I do want to dig deeper I into that because y you are a woman who has achieved substantial amounts, many awards as a sports coach, uh, senior academic of some years standing now. Dare I ask, I mean, were these roadblocks painful for you as a, as a wired-up kid who was really sporty? I mean, how isolating was it? For me, I was able to play. And so as the book unfolds, it, it, it it's a fictitious book, but it's based on truth. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes um, we were just happy we had the opportunity to play. I had the hand-me-down uniforms from the guys' team. Um, they were way too big, which, but that was fine because I always raided my older brother's closet anyway, so I thought that was cool. So I never really felt until I looked back and thought, why didn't we get new uniforms? Why did we get the hand-me-downs? Why did we always practice at 6 in the morning when the boys' teams were practicing at prime time right after school? Uh, never really thought too much about it because I was just happy to play. Um, but those aren't that's not fair, is it? And so when a, a girls' championship team wins a championship and there's no sign of it anywhere, but you see soccer, you know, all the cups and the, uh, the plaques that they've won and <laughs> where are the girls' trophies? Oh, they're in the back mm -hmm. collecting dust where you can't see mm -hmm. them. And so I think if um, it's just bringing attention I was so happy to have the opportunities mm. to play. And you're right. I had more opportunities than the pioneers that have gone before me. And so we hope that in some ways uh, the book brings the history, the true history, and then honors the pioneers of women in sport and then hopefully allows women nowadays to see, well, who are the, who are the people without voice that we can speak up for? And fast forward, I think it's people of disabilities right now that we can also help pioneer and be their voice uh, into that. So I think um, it allows us to see um, where there are some injustices and become some heroes for, for people that don't have a voice or a seat at the table. So I, we hope that it brings about that as well. You, you speak calmly and carefully, <clears throat> as I'd expect. Um, you don't sound an angry person about this, and yet you've channeled a lot of energy into standing up for people in sport who don't get access to fair treatment. Is, is that fair? I think so. I think in order for people to have a seat at the table, um, you have to say things and behave in ways that people will respect and that you'll say things in a way that people can hear. And so while it takes a lot longer, um, and maybe not as fast as I would like, um, I, I understand how things are done, and I, I would just rather come across as somebody who's gracious and humble rather than somebody that's uh, ranting and raving and waving their fists. I don't think that's very helpful. Um, and so that's, well, I've been patient, yes. <laughs> but I think it's paid off, and I, I think it's been a good example because I, I also... Um, Graham, can I divert? Yeah, you bit? can divert wherever you like and on the Christians in Sport podcast. Well, let me, let me just give this example. So a few years ago, I was asked to uh, be at a, on a panel with the presidents of Christian colleges across the U.S. 
and the athletic directors. And of course, I was going to be the only woman on the panel. And so the guy goes, oh, this will be great, Val. You can just, you know, you can have a voice and it'll be really fun. And I said, fun for who? <laughs> um, all the people that I would ever want to work for will be on the panel or listening. And um, so I'm going to be the one token woman that's going to speak for all women. Um, but then I thought about it and I thought, well, yes, I do want to be. I, I do want to have a voice, but I do have to speak carefully now, don't I? <laughs> and so this is the story. I, I was praying about it and thought, God, how can I say things in a way that everyone in the room can understand, disarm any dissension that might brew? And I thought of the play, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, um, quickly. Reptevi is the father, um, the star of Fiddler on the Roof, and he has two plights in life. One, he's poor, and the other is he has all daughters. And so um, he tries to solve the problem as any good father would. And so he thinks, um, he goes to the matchmaker and the matchmaker matches his oldest daughter with this very old man that's as old as the father, but he's the butcher. And so they think this is a delightful plan. The oldest daughter will marry the butcher and she will never starve. And perhaps the family would never starve as well. So this is great, except for one problem. He never asked the daughter who she loves, and she's deeply in love with the tailor, the poor tailor. And so this story allowed me that I told the story on the panel, and everybody laughed, and I thought, this is what happens in athletic departments. Well-meaning men really want the best for their women or female um, athletes or sport people, um, and they make decisions good decisions they think but you know what they never ask the women <laughs> and I don't know if, if your listeners know that but women have opinions and if you ask them they will be readily tell you what would be best for them and so I think this is what's happened time and time again not only in athletic departments but other areas especially in the US where well-meaning gentlemen make decisions on behalf of women but they never ask the women what they need and what they want. And they usually have a plan, too, on how to solve um, <laughs> their issues and to meet their needs. How is your Christian faith? Um, I mean, it's almost a superfluous question, isn't it? Because it would be like asking, how is your athletic bent and ability formed you? T tell me about you and Christ as he has informed your life. I met uh, Jesus at a very early age. I have godly parents. And early on, I knew that um, God shaped me and f formed me in my mother's womb. And I happened to be a competitive person, wired for sport, and always have been since day one, very competitive. And my parents allowed me to enter into every sport, any sport I wanted to play. And um, my father always told me that part of that, and it comes out actually in the book, is it's not so important to be the best because <laughs> I'm so competitive, but it's more important to, to do my best and to be at my best. And part of being at my best was um, being God-honoring in the way I behaved, um, also treating my teammates and my opponents um, with love and respect. And I think that's carried over into 
Um, my passion now for training coaches and being a coach myself is that it is possible to reflect the presence of Christ in, in playing. Um, unfortunately, our sport culture has... Um, <laughs> our sport culture is stronger than the Christian culture has been. And so oftentimes we don't think about... Um, how can I reflect God's presence in the way I play because winning becomes more most important? Okay, I'd like to... Sorry, I'm jumping in there because I, I find this fascinating. I'm talking to somebody I know well and yet on another level because I live in a different country to you. Mm-hmm. I look at your CV, you know, significant number of awards for your coaching, a significant leader in coaching, and now... In one sense, you stop coaching full-time, as it were, but you're consulting with so many bodies, national bodies, indeed international bodies, on coaching. Can we dig down for the rest of our time on this? Sure. What, what, what are you saying to me here? You, you're trying to form, mentor, train coaches in their faith and in their sport. What is that? What are you doing there? Well, I think it stems back to, um, I told you I, I met Christ at an early age, had it modeled for me, understood, and have felt God's presence with me for <laughs> ever since I've been five years old. It really hit me hard, Graham, when I was injured. I, I've told you this story before in college. Uh, junior year came down on um, the opponent blocking me in volleyball, uh, severed ligaments in both my ankles and my Junior career was over quickly, my junior year in college. Uh, My dad had sent me this wonderful book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And I've practiced many things in my life. Practiced the piano, practiced the cello, practiced my sport. No Christ's presence, but I never practiced God's presence. So I had to unfold what that meant for me. And... um, I just realized that I needed to start practicing God's presence, being very aware every moment of the day that God is with me, he's in me, he's about me, uh, he loves me, he's concerned about every step, and if I ask him where I should go and who I should listen to, he tells me. Um, And before, I think I had just relegated it to devotion times at church. I tried to honor God in what I did, but it was just very, um, it was an epiphany for me. And so at that point in time, I, I switched my majors. I w- was preparing to be a medical doctor, and I uh, felt God's call in my life to be a coach. Um, it was just uh, catalytic in my own life of saying, wow, if we could train, um, as that wonderful verse says, you know, physical training is of some value but training and godliness is valuable for all things in this life and the life to come. What if, just what if, we could merge physical training and godliness training all at the same time? And I bet I could do it. (laughs) And so that's when I just changed. I realized my calling in my life was to be a coach. And so I had the wonderful joy of coaching 12 women on a volleyball team, you know, 20 women on a softball team, did it for 13 years. Uh, Other coaches were asking me, Val, how do you do that? How do you have joy in your coaching? 
how do you uh, bring out the best in your players? And it's because we started practicing God's presence in our practice. What does that look like? So you're coaching athletes now. It's very compelling. And I know you can't capture it in minutes, but, but try. What do you mean there? I'm a coach. You're mentoring me. I'm a good coach. You're mentoring me to coach Christianly, to enjoy God's presence. What does that look like? Well, it comes out at different levels. I think our purpose of being a team, purpose of playing is to honor God. A lot of sports people say that, but what does that actually mean? <laughs> does that just mean when we win? Does that just mean uh, at the beginning of practice when we pray? Do we just start practice with a prayer, training with a prayer, and then end with a prayer? But no, I think it's much more. It's in the course of the whole practice or the whole game situation that we're very aware that that we're playing to honor God. Uh, we can applaud when an opponent blocks, <laughs> makes this awesome block when you're ready to kill the ball, right? It's mm. just recognizing that God's presence is in the joy of, of the sport itself. So recognizing that God gave us this wonderful sport, uh, recognizing that we go all out. You know, I used to have, um, if I, as a coach, would see that um, the players weren't giving 100%, I just stop and say, okay, where are we at? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle, let us know. And then the kids would say, we got to do it again. <laughs> it took very little training, right? Um, how do we love God? How do we love our opponents? Uh, we were, um, we were, I had very good sports people on my team. And so we were seeing this team for the third time. Um, and I said, how can we love on our opponents? And the team would come up with different ideas every year. How could we love our opponents? Well, one of the things was very simple. You know, I don't know what they do in England, but after our match, you would go through the line, good game, good game, good game, good game. Do they do that? Or yes, or yes, hands? yes. And oftentimes it's like, and it's meaningless. They yeah. don't look each other in the eye. And I thought, well, how could we really recognize good play? Graham, that was a great game. Yeah. You blocked me three times. That was okay. awesome. Mm. good on you hmm. and go and those little things started building relationships even with the team that we were playing against with referees you know if the referee called it as she saw it and that was it we would honor the referee um, so those were things that I threw back to my team how would you honor the referee how do you honor um, the, the physio that's taking care of you and love started abounding on our team and grace started abounding on our team. And I never really had to talk about what we shouldn't do because I would just ask questions. And God's spirit became alive. His presence became alive. Um, so we weren't doing it for a show. We weren't doing it because God was watching in the stands. <laughs> but we were doing it because God started being alive and well. And we started recognizing his presence in us, which enabled us to behave in certain ways. And we became a very respectable team. What's the situation? So you mentor people now to coach. So um, I'm thinking I'm going to take you across the Atlantic. Uh, we work with a number of coaches mm -hmm. uh, who, who listen to this podcast who will be thrilled by the way you speak and will be saying, get more of her, get more of her. But a number of them will say, here's the reality for me. I'm in a pretty secular culture and 
pretty much most of the people I I coach or on my team would not don't go to church, wouldn't say they're a Christian. How does this pan out in that situation? I hope very naturally, mm. right? I hope acknowledging who the giver of your gifts and talents are, of acknowledging the opportunity that you have to play, of seeing the interaction that you have with a competitor or a teammate as a God moment, that you're the presence of Christ to your opponent on the team. You're going to play your darndest, your hardest, so that you can bring out the best in your opponent, uh, that you can bring out your best in your teammate. Um, that you recognize that the joy of playing is a gift <laughs> and recognizing that the joy of the Lord is your strength. But uh, if, if, the, if the person on your team says, I'm not a Christian, mm. you, you think you can convey that spirit? A- absolutely, without even uttering a word. It's just the way I respond and the way I Because of the interact. way you operate. Absolutely. My job, if you're my teammate, Graham, my job is to bring out the best in you. Right. Right. And so let's say you've taken my starting position, right? It happens a lot. And just dealing with, okay, what is it? You know, God, I give this to you. I Mm. I want to honor you by honoring the people that you've put in my life, even the person that's taken my place. Mm. And you know what? When we start trusting God with those kind of burdens and and concerns Mm. and selfishness, he comes through. Mm. Um. I deal a lot with men's teams with winning. <laughs> they, the culture is that whatever it takes, we, we will do whatever it takes because at the end of the day, it's about winning. And we're used right? to that. Okay, Val? Right. Well, that's what we'd be but used Graham, to. But is Graham, it, is it true? At the end of the day, for you, it's about winning. And deep down, you know it's not because if you win and it wasn't satisfying enough times because you know it wasn't done the way you wanted it to be done, there's a dissatisfaction that comes. Or you've won it because of a bad call, or you won it because you were deceitful in saying that the ball really went out on me, but I'm picking up the ball and throwing it in. And at the end of the day, it's the part of this is a training ground, right? Mm. Training for godliness. So Mm. how'd you do today? Mm. And many times we fail, right? But it's about, am I willing to look at that? Am I willing to critique it because I want to be more like him? And a lot of people don't want to go there. Graham, <laughs> I've had a lot of people in my classes were talking about sport ethics, and then they, they, they'll say, um, Dr. Jin, just don't come to the game tonight. Just don't yeah. come to the game. <laughs> Leave it, yeah. Because I know it's it's convicting, and it's not me convicting them. It's, it's the, the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's their choice, right? Yeah, it's their choice again. So, um, I think the questions that you're asking me come across very. <laughs> I feel like I'm, you know, acting too godly in this, but it works. It works. No, I, I don't think so because you can say that you think I'm acting too godly. But the great thing about an interview like this is, I've got so many pals who are in our network of Christians in sport in the UK and the people wider afield and across the world who are listening to us. There are people who are coaches who, who want to win. Mm-hmm. You want to win. You're a winner. But you want to do it properly. Um, so I'd rather have a conversation about that when nobody has that conversation that pretend something else. 
Um, so I would say to them, great people like that, do you trust God enough? Mm. Do you trust God enough that if you would honor him, <laughs> that the winning will come? Or maybe it won't ever come. But can you say that you want the Lord to be Lord? And so that's what it comes down to. And I, I, I don't think we've had enough role models who actually do it, articulate it, and say, yes, this is absolutely the way to go. But if you were counseling somebody in business or in other areas of life, it would be so easy, right? It would be so easy to say, well, of course you wouldn't steal <laughs> to get ahead because, you know, the consequences later on are just too much or the consequences that night when you lay your head on the pillow is just it's just too grave for me to jeopardize not being right with the lord and not honoring him with that uh well it's just there's something i don't quite get here so you, you coached uh volleyball and softball head coach at gordon college for 13 years it's an awful long time you, you you wax eloquent about the importance of coaching and the philosophy and what we're trying to do as coaches, <laughs> but forgive me for this, but you're not coaching anymore. So um, why? I'm not coaching anymore because I'm using my time now. Uh, got called to start coaching coaches. So I teach in the kinesiology department and I'm training tomorrow's coaches. So exponentially, if you do the math, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be able to impact or the kingdom is going to be impact much more if I train coaches who then coach their teams of 12 and 30 and you can go from there. So I've been uh, called to uh, train coaches and also uh, have befriended coaches because I've served on different committees in the, in the NCAA and other um, collegiate associations. And uh, people question, people want to know you know, how, how were we so successful? And that gives me entree to share uh, principles, happen to be biblical principles, and happen to share my life on how um, I was able to achieve what I was able to achieve by God's grace, and then tell them about my relationship with God at the same time. So it's been delightful. Um, there have been uh, coaches that have come to know Christ because of our relationship through coaching. And so it just keeps giving and giving. Um, and so it's a uh, it's a wonderful thing. And so what really floats my boat is when I see uh, students that I have coached or students that I have taught now coaching their own teams and training for godliness and training for physical training at the same time. It's a be beautiful thing. And I'm so, I'm so glad God called me to this, to this ministry. Just think, you could have been a doctor <laughs> and you got this. <laughs> Healing the sick. Healing in so many ways professor but i'm healing the culture of sport we are healing so that his kingdom will come here on earth in the playing fields on the courts um and so what a wonderful thing and i love to play and i've spent my whole career playing and watching people play it's quite <laughs> remarkable and it keeps you young at heart i'll tell you that i certainly see that well professor val Jin, dr val Jin, val Mapal Thank you, Graham. Val, absolute star. What a delight. Uh, I've no doubt we'll be back to chat more because there are other books to talk about, but more importantly, other people and possibilities in coaching and the role of women in sport to talk about. Uh, you got to read When Girls Became Lions. Easy. Go online, whengirlsbecamelions.com 
and you can get the book and it's astonishing that it was 1972 when girls in America were allowed to just do everything that boys could do so that a girl could play sports and even in the 80s you were so second rate if you weren't a boy and I look I, I'm closing the podcast and I'm saying to myself I've just done this interview and I if there's a mirror here in front of me somewhere I'm not a pretty sight but my conscience is less pretty because I'm thinking what am I going to do about this what a blind spot it is in our sports culture if you want to know more about our podcasts or about anything to do with the kind of work we're doing here, just go to christiansinsport.org.uk. Everything you need to know is there. Meanwhile, really loved this. I've really loved it. Uh, I'll be back pretty soon. I'll see you then. Go well.